0: In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
1: Welcome back to CBS Eye on Veterans. Reporting for ConnectingVets.com, I'm Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Now, our next guest is a veteran with some strong words for anyone who talks about escalating the war between Israel and Hamas and those taking the even bolder step of asking to take the fight directly to Iran. Dennis Fritz is a retired Command Chief Master Sergeant in the United States Air Force and the director of the Eisenhower Media Network and the author of the book Deadly Betrayal, The Truth About Why the United States Invaded Iraq. While on active duty, he served as the principal senior advisor to four-star commanders at two major commands, Pacific Air Forces and the Space Command. One of the commanders he advised was the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Richard Myers. So with that, say hello to my Air Force veteran mate, Command Master Sergeant Dennis Fritz. How are you, sir?
2: Okay, Phil, how about yourself?
1: Good, good. And, uh, you know, I wish we were under more pleasant circumstances to get to know each other. But uh, I respect what you wrote recently. And uh, if you don't mind, can I read the couple paragraphs that really got my attention? Please do. In a statement on the Israel and Hamas war and escalating it into a conflict with Iran, you said instead of trying to de-escalate the conflict, warmongering politicians are talking about expanding the war with an attack on Iran. If they hunger so much for war, they should volunteer and be the first on the ground. There is a recruiting shortage, after all. The requirements could always be adjusted to get them on the front lines. Now, during and after these wars, politicians and their families go on with their lives. Military members and their families, however, suffer indefinitely through loss of loved ones and lifelong struggles with injuries visible and invisible. Even then, they're forced to fight with the government that sent them off on these political wars for disability benefits. We cannot make this worse by being drawn directly into a war of death and destruction. It's time for America to be a force for peace. Now, strong words, but I hear equally strong words in all the TV news and all the cable channels and everybody, you know, talks a big game. I'm wondering, as I listen to your words there, um, was there someone in specific you were directing those statements to? Well, Phil,
2: the two that come to mind. Quickly are Senator Lindsey Graham and Nikki Haley. Now, I must admit, Lindsey Graham did serve in the United States Air Force as a JAG officer, and Nikki Haley's husband is currently serving. However, the majority of Congress has never served. In fact, one percent of Americans currently have no affiliation, you know, with the military. And so primarily there was some sarcasm there. Uh, in regards to joining, you know, the service and being the first on the front lines. But that's candidness because of the fact that you will find with this all-volunteer force, the troops primarily come from those that are patriot, patriotic and then those that come from low-class or lower-class, middle-class families. And with these continuous wars, we are currently abusing just a small percentage of America that has stake in the game. Now, with all these members of Congress running around and talking about Iran, 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 Phil, let me give you a background of what drives me. Earlier, you mentioned my background and a mini bio of me. But something else that's left out is I retired out of the air force in 2003 as my protest of the Iraq war, because I wasn't seeing any Intel that there was weapons of mass destruction. I was trying to figure out how do we go from Afghanistan where the planning of the attacks took place. And that's where you had the headquarters of those who planned that. to all of a sudden we're going to Iraq and I just didn't see that. And I didn't want to send kids off the war with something I really couldn't really support. All of a sudden, as I retire, I find myself sitting in the Pentagon in the office of the Secretary of Defense of Policy, where a lot of the war planning was taking place, a guy by the name of Doug Fight. When I saw the lies that were being told, it bothered me And saying we sent troops off the war based on a lie. As I'm sitting in the Pentagon, before I retired, as you mentioned, I had worked for General Myers, the former chairman of the Joint Chiefs of South, and I worked for another uh, general officer, a uh, two-star command, where advisor. And I told them, when we go to war, it better not be like a Vietnam, where when the troops come back, we don't take care of them. And so as I'm sitting in the Pentagon, there was this big story about the treatment of our war wounders, wounded at Walter Reed. And so I get a call to say, Fritz, we need you to go over to Walter Reed and take care of our war wounded for the airmen. Now, Phil, what's significant about that? That's where I got the opportunity to see each and every day from 2008 to 2022 the results of that war. I was an advocate for the war wounded at Walter Reed. And then I became the contract program manager for the Army's Wounded Warrior Program and then Department of Defense. As I saw that, and so what it did to those troops and the families that was based on a lie, I started doing some significant studying and looking back at my background. Now, while I was in policy and I saw that the lies were being told to go to war, it was all part of a plan, Phil, which you will see in my book, that we wanted to take down Iraq, Then Syria, and then Iran as part of the so-called war on terror. But how did we get here? We used 9-11 as an excuse to go to war with Iraq. It was never about WMD. It was never about our national security. And so when I saw all the members of Congress beating the war drums and the number of them that voted for the war for Iraq, and then we found out it was a lie, that turned, and then I heard many of our administrative leaders saying, we're going to put boots on the ground. That bothered me. Boots on the ground, they're human beings. They're not boots on the ground. You dehumanize them. Then when I heard, oh, but they volunteered. Okay, that's a when you're volunteering for the defense of your country versus going to war based on a lie for p- political agendas. So I started following this. And then, now backtrack, when I was in the Pentagon and started looking at what we were trying to do, the goal, Phil, to get us to where we are now, to today's world, was part of the war on terror was to take away the funding and support of Hamas and Hezbollah. And so, at that time, Saddam was the biggest funder of Hamas. So we took him out with a goal of eventually going to take out Syria, which was another supporter of Hezbollah in this case, and then Iran. Well, this is a continuation of that war. It's not about the self-defense of the United States of America. It's about fighting a proxy war in the Middle East. And so these members of Congress that are drumming up, let's go to war for Iran, that is part two, which Iraq was part one. Part two now is to draw the United States of America into a war with Iran to take out Iran. So I just wanted to give you a little bit of history. I want to give you a chance to ask me some questions, but that's what drives me. When I see us fighting wars, that's not truly in the defense of our country and abusing and utilizing those that are volunteered.
1: A fascinating perspective. And I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, Certainly had to be a difficult decision to do what you did, and that's step down and retire, and even more so difficult to sit serving in Walter Reed alongside our wounded and seeing seeing that kind of pain happen over and over again. I heard you mention two thousand and eight um the height of the surge. I mean, that was just a tough time there, I'm sure. and uh, you know, I appreciate everything you've done. um I, yeah, I would like to unpack a little bit about it because um, you know, as I look with just my rudimentary understanding of groups, Both terrorist groups posing as political groups, and then in Lebanon, the Hezbollah, which, although they're terrorist groups, seemingly controlling and running Lebanon. You know, I look at these groups and I say, how do we have Israel's back if we don't get rid of these bad actors? And most specifically, Hamas. I mean... Their whole mission is to just eliminate Israel. How do you stand by Israel and look for a peaceful two-state solution when the very people running Gaza are some of the most horrific terrorists on the planet?
2: Well, well, Phil, you got to keep in mind that the Palestinians in Gaza consist of two million people. Yes, years ago, they did vote in Hamas, but the majority of the Palestinians do not support Hamas. my opinion is that this is not our war we provide israel 3.5 billion dollars a year to be able to defend themselves now understandably they must be able to defend themselves that attack on october the 7th was barbaric absolutely but at the same time as they go in to eliminate hamas think about this that's going to be tough to do that's an ideology What we're going to do, they're going to create more Hamas. You know, let's say if you kill the leaders, there's going to be somebody to step up. And then now those young kids, which half of Gaza, one million of those are 18 and below. You're going to create more Hamas when they see their family members killed. And so eventually it's going to have to be a diplomatic solution. When I say a force, because the United States of America should be a force of peace, trying to find a diplomatic solution because of the fact this will continue. Because as Israel go in and continue to bomb, 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 you're going to create more Hamas followers. It's an ideology. And so it's going to create more. Now, with that said, when we were talking about Iran, when I said this is a war between Israel and Hamas, how we get drawn into it is that those in Congress that I call the warmongers and supporters Diehard supporters of Israel, we should be in support of all people for peace and security. But the diehard supporters of, of Israel want us to take out Iran. Now, Phil, that is not going to be easy. Iran is a big, strong country. They don't have rockets. They have ballistic missiles. If you remember when, under the administration of Trump, they took out Soleimani, their top general. You remember that? Mm -hmm. But with Mm -hmm. that said, Iran told us they were going to retaliate. Eventually, they did retaliate. Luckily, we got a warning from the Iraqis that they were going to retaliate. And guess what? They used ballistic missiles. And that's why the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff pulled Trump back then, because of the fact if we start a war with Iran, then... You talk about the death and destruction that are happening right now. Iran will fight back. And let me just say again, they don't have rockets. They have ballistic missiles that are accurate. They don't need a nuclear weapon to destroy Israel. So that's why I say peace and diplomacy is more important. because if we draw Iran into it, you haven't seen nothing yet. So what would you prefer for Israel to be destroyed? Yeah. Can we destroy Iran? Yes. But, Israel will take on heavy damage if we go to war with Iran, because I must stress again, they have ballistic missiles, not rockets.
1: So is there anything we should be doing to send a clear message to terrorists like Hamas and Hezbollah? and even Iran who seem to fund these groups is there something we can do uh, you know diplomacy sounds like you're asking for peace and you're looking for allies with neighbor nations like Jordan and Syria and even some of the arab nations like UAE and Saudi Arabia sure we can do a lot of talking but is there something we should be doing to send a message to those groups saying stop what you're doing and find peace in the same way that um Maybe the Accords of the 90s worked. Maybe the Oslo Accords going back decades ago. Maybe even the Abraham Accord that was signed uh, under the Trump administration. I mean, is, don't we need to send a message?
2: This comes a time of being honest and candid. The only way we can have peace is we have the two primary parties, the Palestinians and Israelis, really sit down and talk. Now, listen, the big elephant in the room now, which more people are talking about, you're even seeing the main, main, mainstream media talk about it now. When I was in the Pentagon, you know, I studied the history of the Middle East, and I studied what keep us in this never-ending war. The first thing you have to do, and the Middle East leaders told us this, that we have to address the Palestinian issue. And for some reason, we have not truly and honestly addressed that. And the Middle East leaders that know, that know, they've been telling us, our government, that we can't leave the Palestinians out. Now, let me just give you a classic example. When I mentioned earlier about the goal of the Bush administration and the war on terror in taking out Iran, Syria, and Iraq to get rid of the financial support and military support for Hamas and Hezbollah, well, the goal of that was, to then force the Palestinians to agree to any peace deals that we or Israeli, Israelis decided because they would not have that arms support. Now let's come back full circle to the day. Think about this moment. Look at the comparisons. Many folks have been talking about the Abraham Accords where you know we have peace deals with Israel and other Arab nations. The big thing next was to try to get a peace deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel. Well, Phil, think for a moment. Never was there any talk about the Palestinians. They were going around the Palestinians once again, and it's their lives that affected with the hope that, hey, if we make peace with all the Arab nations around the Palestinians, then once again, hey, they're out there by themselves. And then guess what? Nothing has changed for them. Yeah, we have peace treaties with these other Arab nations, but what about the, the Palestinians? You have to address. Nobody can deny they've been under siege for over 75 years. That's a fact. There's some things that's rumored and propaganda, but that's a fact. I look at myself. I want you to look at yourself and the family. I want your audience to think about this for a moment. If I'm living in my nice home that I've been living in for 16 years all of a sudden, and then somebody's going to tell me, hey, this is no longer your home and we're pushing you out. What am I to do? And it keeps happening and happening and happening again. Let's talk about something else, Big. You know, we're talking about how e- the Egyptians and the Jordanians will not open up their borders. Well, they've done that in the past, especially the Jordanians. And then the Palestinians that went to Jordan, they couldn't return. So you've got to think about this. Egypt is thinking about, hey, if we open up our doors, would the Palestinians be able to return back again? This is facts. Now, going back to what you said, okay, Dennis, Fred, how do we solve this? The first thing you have to do is you have to solve the Palestinian and Israeli issue. And both of them are going to have to be honest participants. Now, the next thing, I'm just being honest and candid. I want you to think about this for a moment. And this is in my book. How can we, as the United States of America, be true mediators? We can't because it's perceived by the Arabs and particularly the Palestinians, that we're one-sided, that we totally, we, say it, we hear it each and every day. Unwavering, without a doubt, clan, Iron Clan support of the state of Israel. Well, how do you think the Palestinians feel when you hear that? Do you think they feel they have a fair chance for mediation by the United States of America? We got to start showing support. Hey, we understand what the Palestinians are going through. So we have to work. We, the United States, if we want to be the mediator, we got to show even support. That will get rid of Hamas and Hezbollah, because, in the fact, then the people, if they see they have the support of the Americas and the, and the world, they'll get rid of Abbas. They'll get rid of Hezbollah. But if they see that as them supporting them and their cause, what are you to do if you feel that nobody else is supporting you? we got to start talking about that, Bill. That's how we get to peace. I want peace, you know. As I would tell somebody, I compare it to us. I love the United States of America, you know, you know the history, how we got here, and how you know the European colonization happened. But this is home for us. Likewise, that's home for the Israelis now, the Jewish people. 1948, they were established as a state. That's home for them. But likewise, for the Palestinians, that's home for them. And so we start can't play games. We, how long we've been talking about a two-state solution? We got to make that happen, and it starts with true negotiations and discussions with the Palestinians and Israel. If not, there's no use of having peace deals with other Arab nations.
1: Now we've been hearing from Air Force veteran and former command chief master sergeant for the Air Force, Dennis Fritz. He's had some powerful things to say about the Israel-Hamas war.
2: Can't play games. How long have we been talking about a two-state solution? And it starts with true negotiations and discussions with the Palestinians and Israel.
1: And to the war hawks in Congress who want to see our involvement escalate or maybe even include attacks on
2: Iran. You talk about the death and destruction that are happening right now. Iran will fight back. And let me just say again, they don't have rockets. They have ballistic missiles that are accurate. They don't need a nuclear weapon to destroy Israel.
1: So in the final part of this hour, I asked Chief Master Sergeant Fritz the obvious yet difficult question. Right now, the Palestinians are under rule by the party they elected, which are terrorists. So how so who comes to the table? To represent the mom and the dad in Palestine, the kid that just wants to play soccer, uh, the uh, Palestinian school teacher, the hospital worker, who represents Palestine? You can't invite two million
2: people to come to a peace treaty. Hey, Phil, do you want honest truth? Okay, we sometimes run for honest truth. Let me give you another historical data point. Years ago, you had the PLO before Hamas was even created. Yassifat, and we have been working with him. Well, Hamas came along, and uh, we pitted, we, the United States, and even Israel pitted Hamas and the PLO against one another. And that's why I say that all of a sudden, when you do that, we, the United States, that requested, a, hey, you know, open democratic elections, and Hamas, like our politicians do over here, say, hey, we'll provide you water, we'll do this, We'll do everything for you. And guess what? Based on that, politicians lie. We hear our politicians lie each and every day here in the United States of America. And so they voted them in. But think about this for a moment. I can't remember I don't remember the exact date, Phil, but that was years and years and years ago. When that happened, half the population of Gaza was young were young kids. They didn't vote, you know, for Hamas. And so now As I stated, think about what I'm saying again, when you say who represent them. If the United States and others came to the Palestinian people and said, listen, probably dealing first with the uh, Palestine organization that is the current leader over in West Bank, maybe start out with them and said, hey, we want to come to the table peacefully, hearing your grievances have an empathy with your concerns and sit down and talk about a true peaceful solution. If, if the people of Gaza and the Palestinians knew that the United States or whomever was going to be an honest broker, I there's no doubt in my mind, they will be the ones to get rid of Hamas. There's no doubt in my mind. But right now in their mind, the only, organization or group, whether it be terrorist or not, that they feel that are defending them is Hamas. There's no doubt in my mind, they would take care of Hamas if they, had a, they felt they had an honest broken in. Think about this. If you see interviews with Palestinians, they don't want to see their families killed and destroyed. They don't like war either. None of us like war. Now, going back to something we talked about earlier, that's why I don't want escalation. I want esca- de-escalation versus escalation because of the fact Still, the United States, as I'm sitting here explaining here, trying to be an honest broker. We're showing militarism. You know, when you say about the two, the two aircraft carriers that are going out there, that's going to provoke Hezbollah. That's going to provoke others. Well, wait a minute. The United States not talking about let's, let's see what we can do to de-escalate and work with the Palestinian seniors to see what their grievances are. We're talking about war. What talk have you heard about the United States talking about, hey, we've got to find a peaceful means? And, Phil, let me mention this, too. We have to talk about it, whether we like it or not. When we talk about human rights in the United States of America, we're supposed to be the leader of human rights. Who you think is right, we're going after Hamas. But, oh, by the way, we're going to strangle the Palestinian people by no water, no electricity. I mean, I just think if we're human, if we believe in human beings, why will we allow that? No water. You have to, three-eighths of without water, there's going to be a lot of deaths, food, energy. Now, let me bring this full circle for you and give you something here. This is away from foreign policy and military. Years ago, there was a community in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and uh, they call it the, the Black Wall Street. I'm sure you heard of that before, if you haven't, but look it up.
1: For context, Black Wall Street or the Tulsa Race Massacre occurred in late May, early June of 1921 when mobs of white residents attacked black residents, destroyed homes, and burned businesses in the Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma.
2: Think about that for a moment. Should we had went in there and killed the families of that rogue group who committed that barbaric act, and should we have destroyed and bombed the entire city of Tulsa, Oklahoma, based on that rogue group. Well, that's what's happening in Garza right now. A rogue terrorist group did that horrific, barbaric act, but we're going to go in and destroy an entire community. And, oh, by the way, we're going to strangle the citizens that had nothing to do with that. But we keep saying, well, they voted for that group. Well, no, half the people in that city right now, that community right now in Garza, to not vote for Hamas. So we need to look at it from that perspective as well. And that's why we need to be de-escalating because a lot of innocent people are getting killed. And let me just stress this again. If those war mongers that want to continue to bring Iran in this, if they get their wish, think about this for a moment right now, there will be more Israelis killed too. Because Iran will retaliate. And let me just remind your audience again, They just don't have rockets. They have ballistic missiles.
1: The word peace, it's simple to say. It is sometimes so far out of reach. It seems like there's just no immediate easy solution, but it's all the more reason why I always invite and am really proud to have the veteran voice highlighted because our collective experiences, certainly your collective experiences in seeing war from inside the Pentagon. Um, you know, the true cost of a fight. And, um, sometimes think my dad's the smartest guy, even though he's been gone for years. I, I remember his words and he used to tell me, son, if you go looking for a fight, you always going to find it. I appreciate your message and appreciate your, uh, letting us look behind the curtain through your lens at what the cost of escalating a war like this really is. You know, it's not lost on me. The significance of, uh, who you're calling out. And I hope that uh, Senator Lindsey Graham and Nikki Haley hear this. And, um, you know, it gives them a moment to pause. But uh, as always, uh, there with the director of the Eisenhower Media Network and Air Force veteran Dennis Fritz, command chief, master sergeant. I can't thank you enough for your time and for shedding some light on this in your unique way.
2: Bill, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: And that's where we'll leave it for this week. You can find more on our guest, Mr. Dennis Fritz, Air Force veteran and former senior enlisted advisor to the Joint Chiefs of Staff, and currently the director of the Eisenhower Media Network at EisenhowerMediaNetwork.org. It's an interesting site for independent analysis of today's complex military issues, and as stated on their website, untainted by Pentagon or defense industry ties. They counter Washington's establishment narrative on most national security issues of the day. I'm journalist and Navy vet Phil Briggs reporting for ConnectingVets.com and CBS News. And we'll be back again next week with more great veterans and their stories on CBS Ion Veterans.
0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Veterans ad free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey
3: at Wondery.com survey. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Millie Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Millie Vanilli set the world on fire. But when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast.